Danny J. And I'm Jill Coleman. Welcome to the Best Life Podcast. Here, we talk about everything from success, money, relationships, and entrepreneurship to productivity, honest communication, positive psychology, and how to cultivate an abundance mindset. Make money, travel the world, deepen your relationships, live full out. This is the best life. We just go with the flow. It's funny. We had uh, my brother, Danny Coleman, on the episode um, like a few months ago, and he was like, should we prepare anything? And I was like, no, we just turn it on and go. <laughs> I like <laughs> it just, like that. We just figure it out once we're on. I, I know. I'm excited. But I so we like do have the best conversations. <laughs> Always. We used it to is. be, I, I'll actually speak for myself. I don't think Danny was this way, but early on, I was very much like, we need questions. And like, I would get like overly like feeling like I need to repair. And then- they, those weren't the best interviews. The best interviews are the ones where we just let it let it ride and we see where the conversation goes. So, yay. Sounds good. Let it roll. All right. Yeah. Well, we're here with a guest. This is uh, Jill Coleman. And we and are here J. with Megan Capel-Duffy, who is the co-owner of something called the Neuro Studio, which I'll let, people, I'll let you kind of share what that is with the audience. And we're here to talk all things brain health and how it relates to... I know you work like with people on like a physical level, like, you know, and you work with a lot of PTs and movement pros, uh, but so much of what you do relates back to something we talk about quite a bit on this show, which is mental health and anxiety, depression, uh, brain health, all of this kind of stuff. So before we get started, why don't we just have you introduce yourself to our audience, let them know a little bit about you and all that good stuff. We'll go from there. So to start off the neuro studio, we focus on neurological conditions. So basically movement, overall wellness for people with neurological conditions. I also work with people without neurological conditions because I say every client is a neuro client, provided they have a brain. Sometimes we uh, <laughs> choose not to use that brain, but um, if we have it, let's call ourselves a neuro client. And why I was so excited to talk to you guys is Fitness and movement is so important, but there is this kind of big disconnect with sometimes movement makes anxiety, makes mental health worse. And I feel like we have to get into those discussions of using more brain-based and neuro-based movement when people are having mental health issues or just are normal humans with a brain. You know, that's kind of where my passion is. I love working with people with neuroconditions, but um, just... Seeing everybody through the pandemic or talking to a lot of people, a lot of people are struggling. Real quick to interrupt you as a, my friend this weekend said, he goes, I'm a turtle. I'm not really fast. If I had a neuro condition, would I know? Or can you give examples of what a neuro condition is? Because I'm like, do I have a neuro condition? You have a lot of neuro conditions. Yeah. Or like if I had, like you would know, like a doctor would have told me. I don't know how much time we have to get into that, but no, no just no, yeah, no, like, right? just like a, a list of things. Of course. So let's start with some of like the bigger ones: uh, brain traumatic brain injury, okay, okay? multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's, um, mm. e EDS um, can have a neurological component. Um, Ehlers Danlos. Um, why can't I think of any other neurological conditions? CMT, like Alzheimer, Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's. Okay. So yes, dementia. Um, what Anxiety about and like depression a, is a neurological yeah. condition to me. So okay. anything that 
is maybe the brain not functioning optimally. And now we're talking central nervous system peripheral. There's also diseases like ALS or people know it more as Lou Gehrig's disease, where that's a peripheral nervous system that affects the peripheral mm-hmm. nerves. Something more like MS is central nervous system, brain and spinal cord. So, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of avenues and I work with a lot of people, um, I, I joke with uh, some other practitioners, we're like the last chance. Basically, they've seen neurologists, they've seen everybody else, and they come to me because nobody can diagnose them. And mm-hmm. sometimes I say, we might not have a diagnosis, but let's look at the symptoms. Let's create a movement program, a mental health program around that, because there's a, a lot of new and emerging neurological issues that don't have a name for them. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had people walk into my studio with their foot dragging traditional foot drop neurological stuff and their doctors are saying there's nothing wrong with them. They've done the MRI. It's not a back injury because there's not a condition that they can really Mm -hmm. wrap it in a box. So Mm -hmm. a lot of people have undiagnosed neuro stuff and it's easy for me to say, be like, well, if you don't have a diagnosis, can't we just work with it? But I don't know about you. When you don't feel good, you want like a, why is this happening kind of thing? And let's talk about brain uniqueness. Um, I'm big on research but not that big on research because research doesn't take into consideration the individuality of our brains. So if I do an exercise, it's going to affect me different than Jill and you. So we cannot individualize that really in the lab just yet. We're trying, we've done one study, it went well. It's man, research goes really effing slow. Can I curse on this, Jill? And Dan? Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, it goes that. really fucking slow. <laughs> it does not go with Megan Copel, Duffy speed. Okay. So, you know, I, I love some of the stuff I'm talking about is strictly theoretical and I see it every day in my studio. And I think the work I do really saved my life and a lot of other people's lives, to be honest. So okay, what is you your story? That? Like, how did you get into this? Because I did a little, um, I did a little bit, I saw your intro on social. And so your degree was actually in exercise science, which Danny and I mm-hmm. both have a, uh, you know, background in that yeah. as well. How did you get into this? And you mentioned your own story. So how did this, how'd you arrive here? Two re- two ways. Um, I'm going to make a long story longer, but try not to. Um, my When I had a Pilates, so I was getting my master's at Columbia in applied physiology. And I was teaching Pilates at the time. I taught Pilates in undergrad. It was my work study and it became like one of the most popular classes on campus. I had no clue what I was doing. I just was moving the body and did my thing. So I was always teaching Pilates, got my master's, had no clue what I wanted to do. So I opened a Pilates studio in Hoboken, New Jersey. PTs would refer to me because I had that master's, okay? It was on paper, but they said, a PT called me and said, do you work with MS? And I was 24, and I was like, of course I work with MS. (laughs) And then I had to Google, what is MS, (laughs) right? So it was from that Google search, and I'm Googling, and it's zero information, stretching. And I'm like, well, that's fucking stupid. And then I'm looking into spasticity and all these symptoms, and I'm like, we should be doing more for these people. Why is nobody doing anything? And then I look for more resources. And then I realized, well, you have to be that person right now. Um, Let's cut that in half. Met my business partner who also is a Pilates teacher but has MS, Mariska Breland. And we decided to work together because we were were kind of doing similar things. She was doing out of a necessity because she wasn't getting answers she needed and she had MS. So we got together and we wanted to offer solutions that people weren't given. And how I got into this was in college when professors would say shit. I was like, cool, why? And they never got, it was always like surface answers. 
And then for me, I don't know after exercise science, did you guys know what you wanted to do after that? No, of course not. You know a whole <laughs> bunch of stuff and there's like no jobs for you that like require no. you knowing it. Or that. there's jobs that so, it's like yeah. $25,000 a year and you're like, well, I don't really want to do that. My dad was like, you can make more money working at McDonald's, Megan, with a master's degree. And I was like, so I kind of, I needed my questions answered. And that kind of what is what drives me. Um, Joe, we've worked together for with like business stuff. Um. I really have to understand the whys, which is why I liked your program. It got really clinical in numbers. And I'm like, well, here's the why. That's why it's fucking working. Because 3% of that is this. Like, cool. Where to me, it's not that people are bullshitting. I just don't think they truly understand what they're doing. So it's hard to explain. So that's kind of where I come in is I really want people to truly understand what they're doing. So that's kind of what drives me. My personal stories, I've had a lot of concussions not major concussions. In my opinion, very minor concussions. And um, what, I have wait. an Irish Catholic mother and a Jewish father. So my Jewish father is, protect your head. Are you okay? You're blinking too much. Where my mother was like, you're fine. You can walk, keep moving. They both love me. But I didn't take that seriously. Did you have a question, Danny? I'm sorry. I didn't yeah. want to interrupt. What would it cause, what would cause you to have a lot of concussions? I imagine you play football. Oh. I played rugby in college. Wow. Okay. Um, My probably most major concussion was in rugby. I was the scrum half, which is kind of like you can equate that to the quarterback. And I hit heads with another girl. Um, The funny part of the story is I kind of got leveled, like went down hard. And like if anybody who plays football with those hard hits don't look really bad because you kind of bounce right back up. But we actually hit heads. And the, the funny part of the story is I got up yelling because she tackled me in the mud and I was, I yelled out my hair because although I played rugby, my ponytail always looked right. And my uniform always looked right. <laughs> so I was more concerned with my hair, but I had a mild concussion. Nobody said anything about it. And the final straw for me was my husband and I were in a very bad car accident in 2020. He um, passed out while driving. He got vasovagal syncope from a very bad stomach flu. He was about to throw up, but instead he passed out while driving on the Garden State Parkway. So I had to climb over and I didn't know how to stop the car. So I drove it into a sign, but we were going uphill. So I hit my head very lightly. But again, CT scan, everything was fine. Long story longer. I'm taking care of my husband. He's in the hospital. They're trying to figure out what's wrong. A week later, I'm sitting and watching TV. And luckily I know about concussions. And I am kind of I am exactly like this all the time. Jill's been around me. I'm kind of consistent. I felt such depression. I could not um, explain. I didn't want to kill myself, but I could understand that. And I literally called my DO who I work with. I'm like, something's wrong. You need to see me. He gave me a treatment. And from there, I realized I had low level depression ever since then, but it wasn't bad enough. It wasn't like I was in bed crying, couldn't get out of bed sad. It was, I always describe it as, depression's a million different ways, so I don't want to speak for anybody else. It was my system was depressed, so it was harder to do everything. And I was still like this, but it was exhausting. So all those knocks in the head affected my mental health in a way. Mm -hmm. So using the techniques I used on clients, I said, okay, I need to start practicing what I preach here. Um, and from that, after the DO treatment, which helped me get to a place where I could do the work, 
I don't need that anymore. I know the strategies I need. So I'm not saying this or my techniques and movements going to cure depression. What it's going to do is make sure your body and your foundation is functionally sound so your brain doesn't have to micromanage your body in addition to your brain. So it's basically checking off boxes. If I can check off a few boxes, my brain is doing less so it can focus on higher level things. So a lot to do there. Um, let me pause there before I go into another aspect of that. <laughs> I could just talk one sentence for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I want to just back up and just get a little bit more context for the listeners. Mm -hmm. um, so obviously all of these different uh, neurological issues, and you said for most people, they'll benefit from some of the things you do. Now with your background in applied physiology and Pilates, it sounds like you're having people do exercises like I mean, I'll just speak for myself as a fitness professional. Yes, please. We always think about like, and there are studies to show like people who are depressed, they start like when they start exercising regularly or lifting weights, it does affect their depression. It affects their anxiety, improves those things. Is that sort of what you're talking about? Just like on steroids or like what specifically? No. Yes and yes. Because yes I'm like, no. go for oh, a yes. run. Won't you feel better mentally? Like that's kind of what we're no. told, right? But you're not talking yes. about that. Yes and no. So yes. If my body can respond to the stimulus I'm giving it, the run, a lot of times going for a run when you're, so let's put a mouse on a wheel, okay? The mouse is running on the wheel and then someone puts a hand to slow the wheel down and someone puts another hand on the wheel. The mouse is still running, okay? So if we start taking hands off the wheel, so now maybe someone doesn't have a hand against the wheel. They're feeling, they're having some mental health issues that might be transient or temporary. A run is going to affect the brain health by it's going to change endorphins, intensity. There's going to be dopamine. There's going to be a lot of neurochemicals happening, okay? But to me, that's short-lived. That's like a quick burst. What I look at is a concept called kind of reflexive stability. And stability is a, a word we all know. We talk about stability all the time. But what's happened kind of in the fitness world is we've kind of bastardized stability and made people think it's either stillness or do this to do that. So what that creates is gripping patterns. Now, I'm not trying to vilify gripping patterns because we need gripping patterns to sometimes do crazy shit. Danny J, you do crazy shit with your body and in your past and well, the back, what do you, what, do you, what was it? Circus flip. <laughs> acrobatic, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> what are you doing? So sometimes you're going to need maybe pelvic floor, hip, all these strategies to do that. But you shouldn't need all those strategies to walk down the street. Okay. Yeah. So what happens in the gym What's is, a gripping pattern? Yeah, go ahead. What's a gripping pattern? So, um, let me, let me finish this sentence and go back because it might make more sense. Okay. okay. So for example, when we're exercising, if we're just teaching the body to respond to do this and then do that. So I want you to pull down your shoulder blades down your back, pack your lats, and then swing a kettlebell. So you're giving your brain a stimulus that your lats are kind of plugged into their origin at their ilium. But if you're plugging your lats down and you're swinging your arms, you're actually inhibiting the lats movement. So to simplify it is sometimes we do things at the gym to create a shape. But what that does and that inhibits, inhibits our brain's response in the real world. So, for example, a gripping pattern is pre-authorizing a muscle to do something, whether it's bracing your abs, pushing down through your feet, doing all this stuff. Now, again, I'm not vilifying that. It's necessary sometimes. But when I do a kettlebell swing, my hips should respond to my feet. 
my shoulders should reflexively respond, my rotator cuff, to my hand grabbing that thing. Then when I swing that bell, my lat should lengthen, my hips should extend. So all those things. Now, I'm not teaching people to do that while the swing. We're helping people's body reflexively stabilize while they're in smaller patterns. And why I use Pilates, Jill, mm -hmm. where it's easy to keep one part still and move another. Mm -hmm. Okay? So that's Pilates. I don't just do Pilates. I do this in boxing, weight training, stuff mm -hmm. like that. What we're doing is changing the sensory input to the brain during a movement to help the brain better reflexively respond. Mm -hmm. And once we have reflexive stability in what I call your four quadrants, shoulders and hips, your brain doesn't have to micromanage that. And then from here, all those endorphins, all that dopamine actually gives you a more lasting result. So what you said, and then I'm putting it on steroids because I'm ensuring it's actually fucking happening. I'm not just saying it's happening. I'm making sure it happens and making sure that person's responding. Okay. So let's back and up. And Danny J. Did I piss her off? She left? <laughs> no, she just happens so let's go. Should we go back to that gripping question? Because I, I feel like I'm getting science-y here. Uh, you are, but that's okay. Let's back it up a little bit. So instead of, so I'm, so that I'm thinking about this right for, like, I'm just thinking about, you know, being my age, our age, right? Like to me, mm -hmm. I'm 42. My parents are now in their seventies. I'm really worried. I mean, shit, not just for them, but even for me, brain health wise, right? I'm always thinking about Alzheimer's and dementia and stuff like this. So instead of what it sounds like you're saying is like, okay, if I start to see my parents like maybe mentally start to slow down, maybe showing like early signs of dementia, things like that, I'm not going to be like, okay, mom, just go for a run. Like you'll feel better, right? Like obviously, you know, the endorphins and all that kind of stuff, but you're saying we need to like almost work out their brain. It's kind of what you're talking about to me. It sounds like it's a brain workout. It's kind of like, not just it do the physical thing. It's still very movement-based. It's still very movement-based. So it's not like we're just playing brain games and crap like that. <laughs> so I'm thinking my like, dog, right? Like I'm thinking my dog, like, need, you know, brain, like dogs need a brain workout. So I'm like, okay, here's this, you know, thing where I'll put the treats in and you have to like go get it. And like, you have to like mentally, especially if you have a puppy, you right? You do that with your parents. That'll work. I mean, they <laughs> might enjoy that game. But, but good. So let's give an example. So for example, right now, if we're sitting down, like with your feet on the ground, put your feet on the ground and then stand up. Do you feel more pressure under your feet when you stand up? It's not a trick yeah. question. Yes. yes. Okay. I want you to press your feet down in the ground, just kind of until you feel your feet touch the ground and try to stand up without increasing the pressure under your feet. Can't Are you going to try? Or you're just going to stare at me. <laughs> I don't well, think I'm I could do it. I'm already standing, but I don't I think you, you can do it. You to try it. <laughs> you can. Yeah. So what, what should happen is our hips should respond to any pressure or stimulus change under the feet. What happens in humans, mm. unlike your dog, Jill, your dog reflexively stabilizes beautifully, right? So you ever see, here's a great example. You ever put shoes on your dog? No. But no, I've but I've seen, but have you seen what in, with shoes yeah. happens yeah. when you put shoes yeah. on a dog? They like don't know how to walk. Yeah. <laughs> and they actually do know how to walk, but you've dulled their sensory input to their paws. So their brain thinks they now have to over recruit all their muscles to move their feet. So a lot of humans, due to the weird sensory input they get at their feet, they actually over recruit other parts because their brain doesn't necessarily know what's happening. So oh. it's real. How I start with like, like if I'm going to train Jill, I did this with Shantae once. I was having her do like, um, 
I don't know, a deadlift. And I was like, do the deadlift, Shante. And then she did it. And I'm like, do you feel the pressure increase in your right foot? And we did a split stand. She's like, yeah. I'm like, do it again without increasing the pressure in your right foot. She's like, holy shit. So what I was using was a cerebellum-based approach. Mm-hmm. So I'm giving your cerebellum a different sensory input. And I'm saying, the cerebellum, can you figure out another way to do that? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong to increase the pressure in your foot. But if that's your only strategy, you're fucked as you get older. Because that's your only mm-hmm. strategy. I'm thinking so about even people like even with, further. Even yeah. with diabetes, right? Like a neuropathy. I'm sure you see a lot of people with neuropathy, right? Because it changes Just, like I, they I literally can't. I was doing that can't. yesterday. Um, it was a neuropathy day. It was everybody had neuropathy. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. wild. Yeah. But for you guys, I mean, we don't have neurological conditions per se, but we're going to get older. We're neuroclines. So doing this stuff now, like I live completely pain-free. I didn't in my 20s. Everything hurt. I used to work out all the time. I can easily put 40 pounds over my head when I haven't like lifted in like weeks. So what I'm doing is training my brain to respond to whatever's put in my hand. So I can lift this water bottle, 40 pounds, 50 pounds and stuff like that. So I still work out hard. I just work out really different Mm. because the hard workouts coming in hard in the paint was actually not great for my brain. And when I work with a lot of athletes, it actually is not good for their brain either. So are but you doing so like visualization, the, the right? Like, um, are you doing like visualization, like in a way, like I'm, I'm picturing like what it feels like to pick up a 40 pound. No, you're not. So like, what would be an example yeah, of when you say, pick, I want them to pick a 40 pound weight up. I'm going to assess where their body's not responding. And then I'm going to ask, we're either going to mobilize a joint, differentiate a joint, or go right to the cerebellum. So, for example, yesterday, the, you know those big water jugs mm-hmm. that we put? So my my homework exercises is I literally once a day, I pick one up with one hand, with the handle. I'm now strong enough to, I grab the handle, and I'm able to stand fully up without the pressure increasing at my hand. It's cr- My shoulder is doing the work. My hip is doing the work. All those bigger muscles are working. So I don't want you to visualize what it feels like. I want you to actually feel it. Identify the sensory that's coming into your body. And we discuss that based off my observation and your feelings. And then we address it and change the sensory input. Um, What I thought I was going to talk about more today is the eyes. Hmm. Most people, how do you guys feel after you scroll on your phone? Feel good? No. No, not really. So when we're scrolling on the phone, our our eyes literally are doing this. Okay. But does your Instagram look blurry at all? No, no, no. Our eyes are literally jumping and saccading that fast. So think about, it's almost like our brain is flipping through like a cartoon. You remember those old school cartoon books Mm, where you would, so I make my, I do like a visual reset. Like I'll put my hand on top of my head. And I look up as much as I can. And then I press my head into my hand, hand into my head isometrically. And then I look up further. Wow, I can look up higher. I do it again. Look up higher. I do the same thing down. So I'm resetting and opening up my visual field and doing it slowly so that my brain isn't on loop. So our eyes, our visual system needs to integrate with our proprioceptive system. Fancy way of saying where the hell our body is in space. So everything we do in the gym, guys, think that's affecting proprioception. Mm -hmm. Cool? Most people's visual system and vestibular aren't integrating with the proprioception. That's what leads to injuries. That's what leads to pain. So when we're working out, like if I'm training Jill, I am not looking at her biomechanics. 
She's got beautiful biomechanics. That's not the freaking problem. I'm going to watch her tells. She moving her head to the left. She's sticking out her tongue. She's pulling her tongue in. Is she moving her eyes? Is her, her left eyebrow lifts? Okay. When Jill's paying attention, she tilts her head to the right and her left eyebrow lifts. Danny J fidgets. She's more like me. We kind of move around. Okay. Can you sit still, Danny J? No. No. Me neither. When I, when I lecture, I sometimes get 20,000 steps. I walk back and forth. Yeah. And I warn people, if you have vestibular issues and turn off the camera, stop watching me pace. I'm not going to stop. Right. So it's I look for everybody's tells and then we're going to use that to change the brain's response. To see if you don't need that anymore. So it's really individualized exercise. Everybody says they individualize exercise. Eh, they're individualizing exercise based off body parts, pain and goals. What we do at the neuro studio is we individualize every movement and exercise based off your brain's unique response. And I know it sounds like big and scary. But we teach you how to do this. It's not that scary, right? And is this and preventative? It's also really fun. Is this preventative? Like, if I was, I mean, I know sometimes I think to myself, "Gosh, my entire livelihood re- depends on my ability to think clearly," you know, and like be able to stay sharp and and like so, brain almost like brain stuff almost is scarier to me than you know, I don't know, like you know, having something like ACL tear or something, right? Yeah. So. Is this preventative too? Is this like, hey, this is something that... Oh, yeah. But I've been told by one of the best online business people ever, <clears throat> you, prevented and prevention ain't sexy. Nobody cares about prevention. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It does prevent. And listen, I run two separate businesses. Um, granted, I don't have um, human children. I run two businesses. Um, I, this is the way I stay focused. This is the way I had an $83,000 launch. Also, thanks to Jill's Ombre Method. I got a shout out. I love it. Um, but keeping that focus, and I've got to be honest, this week I've been in a million different places. I haven't done the things I need to do. Scattered, forgetting things, dropping things, um, typos in my Instagram post. Did not post the Instagram post this morning at 6 a.m. Had it posted at 1.30. I'm not on my game this week. So what I find is in order to be Megan at 100%, this is, these are my drugs. Mm. I might do other drugs, but this is my main drug. (laughs) Is this like um, what you're describing? Is this, do you see people with ADHD too? Obviously, that's a huge thing that's sort of like so many more people are identifying with that. Is this something that you work with people who have ADHD as well? Because it sounds like it's like, it's focus, it's movement. I'm just thinking like when you were talking about- Yeah, go ahead. I was just thinking when you were talking about being at the gym and looking at someone's biomechanics versus looking at their tells, is this sort of why like I can deadlift like 225 pounds at the gym, but then like I'll be at my house and I'll bend over to grab my laundry basket and like pull my, you know what I mean? It's like how everything is. You can only, your shoulders and hips are only responding to 200 pounds. Bitch can't even lift the laundry basket (laughs) because your hands can't respond to light. Mm. So like, I'm not out here like yelling at people's workouts, but there's like some like super lady workouts with pink weights with light weights and people villainize that. It's like, no, but for different reasons. Mm. I want my clients to be able to lift two pounds and respond appropriately. I also want my clients to lift 200 pounds and respond appropriately. So 100% like it's just, and for ADHD, um, the craziest thing, it happens all the time. 
and it never happens when I'm filming and it's a really private moment and you cannot duplicate it. But my clients who have ADD, it's crazy when we get them to reflexively stabilize, specifically in upper quadrant. It's literally like I shot them with Prozac or anything else. It's like they literally, you can see the energy go from here to there. Hmm. Okay. Now I'm high energy. I actually had a client once. He was my client. He was a psychiatrist and he's like, do you have ADD? I was like, not that I know of, but he described it. He helped me understand my brain. I find, and that's why I love you and Shantae and Danny J you're like this too. I like that you talk fast. I hate people who talk slow. <laughs> I want you to finish your fucking thought before my head explodes. Mm-hmm. I speak fast, but I take in a lot of information and filter it fast. Right. So he was like, yeah, but ADD is not is your superpower and your detriment because it it helps you. It has helped you. But what's interesting is ADD presents differently in different people. So my husband was diagnosed with ADD as a kid and he's different. So he needs things to slow down so he it can catch. So if he smokes weed, he'll go write a 30 page paper Hmm. like If I smoke weed, I'm like, where's the chips? Feed her up. (laughs) So when things slow down, he is like a genius. For me, when things slow down, I literally, my brain can't function. So I love this work because with the sensory focus, that's right from your brain. And um, I hate to go back to science again, but we can all handle this. Neuroplasticity. We've all heard this word. Ugh. It's not just about reps. It's not like neuroplasticity is happening all the time. When you're a kid, yeah. But learning a new movement pattern is like learning a new language. I mean, I can barely speak English. So I say to people, you want to learn a movement pattern, you better come correct and bring that energy as if you were going to learn a new language. It doesn't have to be hard, but you have to be, your brain has to be focused. So we use the sensory input to focus the brain at a neurochemical standpoint, not just staring at, okay? Then when the brain's focused, then we can hopefully, this is something we're going to be studying, acetylcholine and epinephrine. I want to know if the reflex stability is affecting epinephrine or acetylcholine in two locations. I don't know these answers. Is it a brainstem issue? Is it in the brain? We don't know this. There's no really way to study that just yet. We're going to look at that, okay? But what's interesting to me, once we find the sensory focus, whether it's visual, vestibular, proprioceptive, people completely shift. They're focused. It's almost like they're like a Stepford wife or a Stepford <laughs> husband. I don't know what the what that would be. And they're in the zone, okay? It's so cool to see. And it really gets them, it takes them to another level. In their, whatever program they're doing, say they're weight training, say they're an athlete, all these things. But the thing I also want to bring up is the no pain, no gain mentality a lot of us kind of grew up in um, actually inhibits that because we're told not to listen to pain. Um, my husband, who's an ex-football player, he was an offensive lineman. Every play was a collision. Like, and they'd be like, did you have a concussion? And he's like, no. If you ask my husband if he's ever had a concussion, he says no. But his lights went out a lot. I'm like, that's a fucking concussion. <laughs> the fuck? So, but you didn't want to be a called a bitch or other mm. words. So you would go back out there. Okay. So it's not that I want everybody to be babies, but if I can teach you how to listen to your body, we don't have to take that for gospel. That doesn't mean stop. That means, okay, let's use it. Let's change. Let's adjust. Because like, Joe, 
if your boyfriend, if I told him, like you were telling me, I think there was like a shoulder injury. If I told him to stop lifting, what would he say to me? Fuck out of here. He's not yeah. going to listen. Right. He's got to move his body. So we got to figure out, you know, and there's a lot of different ways to do this. What I like is we go to the brain first. If we make the change of the brain, it lasts. Mm. Everything else helps us get there. So every modality is important. And that's why I love this work. It doesn't matter. You don't have to change who you are as a teacher. You're using the four quadrant stability model and the work I teach as the lens to assess. That's what's so cool about it. No, we don't need any more Megans. I don't want minions of me teaching exactly how I do. I just kind of want them to feel like they can give actual answers to their clients. Yeah, we talked about eyes. You said there's vision and I heard you say vision, vestibular, vestibular, or proprioceptive. So we kind of talked about vision and proprioceptive. Let's talk about vestibular and balance. What kind Mm -hmm. of things, what kind of assessments are you looking for or or things are you doing to help with balance and how does balance affect the brain or brain affect balance? And how does that just tie into this whole like brain exercise? Everything I'm doing is balance training. Mm. People think balance is just to stand on balance in life. That's what's so cool about this. And the three neurological determinants of balance, proprioception, visual, and vestibular. Mm -hmm. So we're working those three systems all the time. So Jill, go back to your parents. It's like, if we can like get them to do a few visual exercises, their balance is going to improve. Now, if we get that visual exercise to integrate integrate with their proprioception, we're going to get more. Mm. Okay. So with vestibular, it's the, the movement of fluid in our inner ear. So there's three semicircular canals, little hairs in there. The vestibular system grosses me out. The idea of fluid and hair combination, <laughs> right? I don't know. I don't like stagnant water. You know when there's there's plates in the sink and stagnant water? Yeah. <laughs> it's gross. I don't think anyone likes that. Oh, not for me. But anyway, so when our head moves, that fluid against the hair gives sensory information to tell our brain where the hell our head mm. is. Okay, what's interesting, number one, nobody knows where their head is in space. Now, we can't just blame proprioception. It's also a visual and vestibular issue. I love working with neurodivergent humans. So if someone's on the spectrum, and we often see children or adults on the spectrum, what do they tend to do a lot with their head and eyes? Do you guys know? Like, you ever rock. notice? I feel like they rock a lot. They move, mm-hmm. they rock, they spin, spin. and they look around. Mm. I remember the first kid I worked with with autism. I wanted to say to him, I get why you're freaking out. She is very annoying. It's her voice, isn't it? <laughs> now his mother was lovely, but everything she was doing was creating sensory overload to this kid. And she kept telling him to look me in the eye when he was talking to me. And I said to her, he doesn't need to look me in the eye. He can't. He cannot gaze stabilize. His brain, he needs to be moving. So an his eyes are moving. His body needs to move. So making his eyes be still, it's literally like nails on the chalkboard for mm. people or for me, auditory. Um, one of the many reasons I don't have children, the primary reason is I don't like them and don't want them. But the second reason is they are noisy. Yeah. So when I'm cooking and talking to someone else, if somebody is talking to me, I literally like flip the fuck out and can't concentrate. My husband knows if I'm working and he asks me a question, it's as if I'm deaf. I did not hear you. Okay. I've, he's, I've been told I'm a little bit like a man in that. Okay. I get very focused and then I literally cannot hear. I can hear, but I can't process because I'm so focused on this. Okay. So from an auditory and sensory overload, 
a lot of times we don't want to just pile sensory on, which I see a lot in the industry. Oh, just sensory stack. Hmm. Get the fuck out of here. We got to assess if that sensory information is good. We have to remove sensation. Maybe we use um, blindfold or, you know, um, noise canceling or something like that. And then we have to change the sensory input. So I'm not going to tell someone to stop doing something. I need to change the sensory input. Mm. So if I need him to look me in the eye, a drill I do is I move around Mm. and I ask him to follow me. Mm. Okay. So when we're talking, we're just moving around. Um, One kid I worked with, he did not like to sit on the floor cross-legged and they kept forcing him in school. And they would give him snacks to do it, which is a technique that's taught. And I said, hey, can you go sit in that chair over there? Sat down immediately. And then I explained to his teachers the sensory input at his SI joints, which is a primary sensory input to the brain. He doesn't, when you sit down, his pelvis tucks under. It creates too much stress and is putting pressure on his SI joints. He doesn't like it. Why does he have to sit on the floor cross-legged? And the response was because all the other kids do. Mm. And I'm not a parent, but fuck that. Why does my kid need to sit on the damn floor? As long as he's not being disruptive, why can't he sit over there so we can actually pay attention? Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's it's super interesting to me when we look at neurodivergency, we see it more clear. And I love working with kids because they are no bullshit. I was, <laughs> my niece asked me to talk to her Girl Scout troop. And they were so engaged for an hour. There was 10 minutes. They were like this when I was talking about the names of the muscles because they didn't fucking care. Mm -hmm. I was like, let's move them instead. They immediately, I said one muscle name. They all started looking around talking and their mothers yelled at them. It wasn't interesting to them. So I could have kept going and lecturing or I could have changed my approach, different information. They were back in. So seeing kids and neurodivergent people as adults, Right now, my voice could be jarring to someone listening. Sorry, can't change that. But they're going to be polite and not say that. Where a kid would be like, wow, your voice is really annoying. (laughs) True. So then I know, fuck, they have auditory issues. I need to speak softer or I need to not speak and demo and maybe use my hands more or move my hands less. Right? An adult's not going to tell me that my voice is jarring and loud. They might be thinking it. Yeah. No. What? Yeah. <laughs> I notice I have to read social cues because sometimes I miss things. Um, I notice because I have bad hearing and auditory processing. Just I notice I speak loudly. I don't think I speak loudly, which people think is hysterical. But I notice if I'm speaking too loud, people start to do this. Mm-hmm. As soon as I see a human do this, I lower. I try to whisper. All of I this don't want to be annoying. All of this stuff is it's so fascinating and it feels um it feels like a lot like mentally to be thinking about. I know. You know? So know. that's the thing too is like how do you get someone cuz we we know and I mean I'd be interested in your take on this like the fact that we have so many more sensory inputs than we've ever had, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you think about that, you know, it's like we didn't have the phone before and now every, you know, you have to capture someone's attention on social media within like f- half a second and all this kind of stuff. How is that really, it's almost like, and maybe you can speak to this, like we want efficiency, right? We like, we, we want efficiency. We Oh, I want, love efficiency. We don't want things to be hard, right? But I have to slow down and think about okay, like when I, I got to like do these eye exercises and like all that kind of stuff. So how do you get someone to like really focus and slow down and start to do this? 
you know, we talk about it from like sometimes Danny and I talk about like food issues and stuff like that. We talk about mindfulness and mindfulness feels really hard for people at the beginning because they're like, that's a lot of work, right? You have to like think about stuff. But in our experience, once you start practicing it, and we have a couple of tools that we use to help people practice, it becomes automatic to the point where it's actually easier. So is there so a period? Tools. Yeah. 100%. So guys, anybody listening, everything I just said, I would never say that to a client. I'd get the client in as soon as I also send an intake form. I ask some interesting questions in my intake. Like, do you like to be a passenger or a driver? That tells me a lot of information about their proprioception and vestibular integration. Okay, I also ask them if they like roller coasters. I ask them if they get vertigo. Do they get dizzy? Do they like fast cars? Do they like this? So I've got some intel. And as soon as they get into my studio, I'm watching everything they do. And then I listen. I don't talk. I listen. And then they're going to tell me something. And that's my entry point. And then I get them to, I'm not going to talk about focus. I'm going to get them to focus and they're going to be like, what the fuck just happened? Then some clients don't give a fuck and I just move them and I change their sensory focus as we go. And that's it. Other people are like, okay, how can I use this stuff like that? And then I'm there. So just like what you do with your, you know, weight loss or moderation clients, you give them steps. So it's one thing at a time. Okay. So if the person's like freaked out about the eye exercise, I'm not going to use eye exercises at the entry point. What I'm going to do is there's an exercise in Pilates. It's called footwork. You're lying on your back. You're pressing out and in with your legs. It's like a leg press. So I'm going to ask them to do that. I'm going to assess the pressure under their foot. I might give them a visual target and ask them to move past it to straighten and bend their legs. So I'm assessing them while they're moving. I'm also moving them with no cues. I'm not going to tell them what to do. I want to see what their tells are and what they do. And then we go from there. So don't let all this information be overwhelming. I know when you're hearing it, guys, it's like, how do I do that? Okay, that's why I want you guys to try the stand up thing. Talk is freaking cheap. Let's see it in action. And going back to the moderation in eating, a lot of people have trouble with that because they don't know what full feels like. Or my client earlier he is very slim, but his father is very overweight. He is very afraid of being overweight one day. And he said, the only way I'm sleeping at night, and he had a stroke, young guy, I feel best when I have a really full meal. And I'm like, well, let's talk about your spasticity and the stretch reflex. There's a stretch reflex in your, in your stomach. So you're feeling heaviness of the food. Okay, let's lie down on the ground. I made him put weights on his body to feel heaviness in his body. Maybe get a weighted blanket. So a lot of people that overeat are just trying to feel where their body is in space. Mm, interesting. I have celiac. I have a lot of digestive issues. I feel best when I don't eat. Not from an eating disorder standpoint, but my stump, because of the inflammation, when I'm full, I can get very, I feel very sick. So I have to eat very small amounts throughout the day so that I don't feel sick or that I'm not starving. And, you know, when we get, when we're working busy days, there'll be days I'm like, oh shit, I didn't eat all day, which is not good either. So it's really teaching people how to tap into the neuro aspect of it. You know, don't laugh. I have a lot of clients who are very overweight, who've had gastric bypass. They are also very hypermobile in not globally in a lot of areas. And that's telling me they are not responding to the stretch reflex in their stomach. Interesting. So we need different strategies. And it's 
crazy because I had one woman, she almost started crying. She didn't almost, she started crying because she's like, I think people think I just eat until I'm going to explode, but I don't feel full. Mm. And I'm like, that's how I feel one day when I have my period hormonally. I don't feel that stretch reflex because the hormones are preparing for pregnancy and all that crap that I don't want. So I'm like, I only feel that one day. I'm sorry that you feel that all the time. I don't know how I would manage eating if I never felt that. Like it kind of fucking sucks. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So the the really understanding your own unique brain and body, I find it fascinating because it never gets boring. And it I'm a curious person. I just I I kind of want to help people like see themselves, you know? I think a lot of people don't like themselves because they don't really know how to see it, you know? I'm kind of corny, but I'm really fascinated by this. I feel like you get to kind of people are puzzles and you're trying to figure out the puzzles for them, which I think is really cool. And I'm curious when people come to you, how, what problems are they generally coming to you for? Or are most of them referrals at this point? Or do you feel like you have a niche that you've really dialed in and a lot of people are coming for that particular issue? I, I did years ago. So I was kind of the MS person. I would travel the world doing evals um, before COVID, teach workshops all over the world. Um, and then because of that expertise, people came to me with every neurological thing. Um, so, you know, kind of niching down in the beginning is really helpful to build a business. Um, now people kind of come to me. I joke like last resort. Um, not because they don't trust me, but they're going to go through the, the natural channels first. Right. And, um, usually get frustrated. So I kind of see everything from turf toe to ACL tears to SI joint pain to being completely bedridden from MS to having a brain injury, to being a professional athlete who had, had concussions. Um, it's kind of really anything right now. Um, and just kind of unfortunately with my schedule, I'd love to see everybody, but kind of I love the uniqueness of certain cases. I do have a robust mentorship program, so I do refer out to my mentees a lot um, who are amazing. So, you know, and there's neurostudio practitioners all over the world. So if you want someone to look at your body, hit me up, reach out. I'll, I'll set you up with someone either in person if we have someone in your area, or I do pretty much 85% of my work on Zoom these days, or um, we can figure out something else. So if you're a teacher and you're like, I want to learn this, we also have ways that you can learn how to do these techniques. And I'm telling you, come over to the dark side. It is so much fun. I've been doing this for 22 years. I never get tired and bored. I cannot say that always. I mean, Joe, we talked like being a personal trainer back in the day, Pilates teacher. I would dread waking up and going to work. I would cancel shit all the time. I was not happy, which made my, me very anxious. Mm-hmm. I don't feel anxiety like I used to um, because of this work. Like it's it's so grounding and great. Um then, you know, that's that did that answer the question? I feel like I'm rambling yeah, at this point. No, and how long do people usually work with you? Is it a, over a series of six sessions, twelve sessions? Does it depend? Or is there kind of a protocol of you should expect to see results by this many times? Depends what your goal on. is. Mm-hmm. Depends what your goal is. If it's a more acute injury, it's often pretty fast. Also, I believe in like a team, a village. Um, I might 
want you to find a DO who does osteopathy. I might want you to find like a visceral practitioner like um, um, Jill and I both know Anna, um, the movement rev. I might have you, you know, to really see a massage therapist get things moving. Um, but I usually do neurointensives. But what's interesting with neuro, people want change fast. And I always say this to clients. I think clients. everybody wants change fast. Now, I usually say this. I love this. My CEO clients, big business clients. All right. So I, I actually said this to my dad the other day. And I was like, okay, dad. So this is how I work. Exactly how you do. So when there's a problem in your company, you fire everybody. You change everything. You go big. You go drastic, right? And he's like, Maggie, I would never do that. My dad calls me Maggie. And I was like, yeah, no shit, Sherlock. That was sarcasm. I learned it from you. He's like, oh, 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 I get, oh, I see what you're doing there. So neurologically, you have to create one small change, see how it trickles down. I have clients where I see them and I say, I don't want to see you for another three months. I want you to practice this. And once that's integrated, when this happens, call me. Do not call me before that. I am not cutting your meat. I am not your landlord. Treat it like you own it. I'm not your landlord. I also have clients that I see weekly, but I do not have people visit. I used to do this in the past. It does not work. People think I'm going to sprinkle fairy dust on them. I don't have people come for me five days in a row and expect change. The brain cannot integrate that neurologically. If I did that, I would be taking your money and I've got a guilty conscience. I can't do that. So we do in, I do an intensive where we meet. We follow up and stuff like that. And I create a protocol based off your brain's unique response and your tells. And I have clients, they come and they go, shit will happen, they'll come back and stuff like that. But usually we don't have to revisit the same problem twice, provided they're treating, they're their own la landlord. Not everybody wants to do the work. Probably 80% of the people don't want to do the work. That's the truth. Well, that's, that's anything, in my right? uh, core business plan. Yep. If you, I can't help you if you don't want to, if, if you're, if you say this is your goal, but all your actions are saying this, I bring it to your attention. Here's what we can do. We can either stop working together or we can change the goal to what you really want. I'm not judging your goal. I have a client who I thought she came to me to walk better. What I realized, she wanted to lose weight and look a certain way. So I said, okay, I'm not judging this goal. Is that your goal? And she said, yeah. I go, let's make that the goal. So I didn't talk about walking. I gave her strategies to make sure her brain and body was organized. So when she would do the cardio, mm. that would be lasting. It wouldn't, uh, you know, so again, we can stop working together or we can just change the goal. Mm. If you don't care about how your gait is, like, I can't be here all by myself, right. you know, so it really depends on the person. I'm interested so, in just answer to a short question. <laughs> Well, no, this is good. I'm I'm interested in some of the, especially uh, like things like Alzheimer's and dementia, right? Where like what have been some of the results you've gotten for people? You know, like you said you're people's last resort, which it's, I assume you're like the final solution for people. What does that look like for someone who has maybe early stages dementia? They come to you. They really do take ownership. They start integrating everything they're learning from you. What does that look like practically? Now, when it comes to Alzheimer's and dementia, that is not a clientele I see a lot of. So I just want to be clear on that. The clients that I've worked that have cognitive issues because of either early onset, brain injury, stuff like that, I don't want them to remember anything. Okay? I'm not asking them to remember shit. 
I'm giving them strategies to get their brain to focus so neuroplasticity can occur. Mm. And neuroplasticity, the magic really happens when you're sleeping, not in the studio. Um, there's brain chemicals that are released to almost spotlight a part of the brain, wash over it, get it to focus. And then when that brain chemical spotlighting that new neural pathway, then the brain heals, rebuilds, refocuses, kind of like muscles. You know, the change isn't really happening at the gym. It's happening in the rest and repair stages. So someone who's got dementia and Alzheimer's, I'm not going to ask them to remember exercises. I actually treat each session like Groundhog Day. And we're doing this. This is the sensory strategy today. Where do you feel the pressure in your feet? Okay, some of my clients, they write themselves notes. It's what, when they look at their note, smile, and then move around that visual target. So what they're doing is they wake up, they smile, they're using their cranial nerves by smiling, reminding themselves that they're there, and they have something on their mirror, okay, with a dot. Then they're moving around a visual target, which instead of moving their eyes, it's moving around. So it's technically a reflex to move their eyes. Mm -hmm. So I do things like that because people think they need to remember. If clients don't remember their homework, it wasn't meaningful. When we do something in the studio that's meaningful, I have to tell my client to stop doing that. We need to move on, right? Because they're doing that strategy nonstop until it integrates. Um, so it, it's, we don't want to put the burden on the client to remember, to feel. We kind of adjust based off what they're doing. And again, a lot of, I have, you know, the, the what really drives me is I'm fucking pissed. Because I get people seeing me who are bedridden. They shouldn't be. They were told they were too weak. They told their disease or their MS progressed. I'm asking them to move. And granted, their limbs aren't moving. Then I'll change a sensory strategy by putting something cold in their hand or asking them to move their husband's hand. And they start moving their limbs. And then they can move their limbs away from their other limbs. It's not a weakness issue. It's a brain map. Mm. The brain doesn't know wh what the different joints and parts are because they stop moving them. I have a woman who came to me completely better and now is moving all four limbs and rolling over. And I'm pissed because she should have never fucking got there. Mm. Because these strategies could have been, but I would never say that to her. We don't look back. We look forward. But what I'm saying is prevention's not sexy, but doctors, PTs, we can't just give exercises. The clamshell, it's the most prescribed exercise. I've never met a human who can differentiate their SI joint from their hip joint in that position or their lumbar spine. Mm. I've actually had PTs or beautiful movers do a clamshell. They're actually move, they're initiating from their SI joint. Because those joints are very close together. It's not because they're morons or they don't know. The joints are very fucking close together. Your boyfriend, a lot of shoulder injuries. The a, a, AC joint and the glenohumeral, look how fucking close those two are. You think your brain can differentiate? Yeah. And uh, Shantae had asked me, what's with the four quadrants? And I was like, what do you mean? Like, I didn't understand. She was poking, poking me to get to me explain. I knew what she was doing, but it was annoying me because I didn't have the words. Mm. Yet there, I was like, they're the four most mobile joints in the body. Nobody's moving. The hip joint, ball and socket, and glenohumeral. Most people don't actually use their glenohumeral. They move their scapulothoracic improperly, and they jam in their AC joint. They jam in their SC joint because their brain can't differentiate. So we can't just prescribe exercises. We have to remap the brain. So I just want people not to be better, but to have strategies to do this. Because let me tell you, all the P these PTs aren't bad people. They're doing what they were told. I got annoyed and I didn't want to go to school to be a PT because the PT professors could not answer my questions. Why are we doing that for the knee? 
because that's a knee exercise. That's a quad strengthening exercise. Why? Mm. How does that strengthen the quad? Well, because it's a quad strengthening exercise. I'm like, I'm not fucking deaf. <laughs> and they didn't really know because they're like, oh, in that particular joint position, the sensory feedback the brain's getting, it only has a mechanical advantage to use the quad. Mm. And we don't really know which quad they're using. We're just making a global guess. Oh, so they might not be using their rectus femoris? Well, I don't really. I mean, mm. unless I have electrode on the muscle, I can't be like, oh, that's definitely your psoas. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. You don't really know. So I just want teachers to have the tools to really differentiate and assess this because all the people I know in this field are awesome and just want, you know, to help people. You're kind of blowing my mind right now. I'm thinking back to after I was an acrobat, I was paralyzed and I had um, an infection in my sacroiliac joint. And what's really interesting is um, I remember a doctor coming to me at the in the hospital and he said, can you feel this? And he stuck a needle in my leg and I was like, ow. And I could, and he goes, okay, move your leg, but I couldn't move it. And I knew that's the connection between my brain and my legs just wasn't, there was something there that wasn't working. It wasn't that I had, uh, that I had cut off feeling to everything below the waist. I just couldn't move it. And it was the most bizarre thing. So I remember staring at it, just looking at my legs, trying to get them to do what I wanted them to do. But I could feel if you pinched me, if you slapped me, if you wiggled, if you touched my toes, I'm like, I could feel you touching my toes, but I can't wiggle my toes. And so I wish there was someone like you back then for me. I mean, I figured it out eventually and I got to walking, but it took me a long and time. That's, to but walk that's normally. made you uniquely you. Yeah. But now go back. Why do you have an infection in your SI joint? What caused that? Uh, some uh, bacteria bacteria water that I was swimming in. So what's interesting is I always like, I want to know all the past injuries and it's interesting why, like why that joint. So again, with your acrobatics, mm -hmm. the way you moved your body, there might've been more room for it to go, but even bigger, your brain probably did not move your leg because it couldn't differentiate from your SI joint. And there was a fucking infection back there. Mm -hmm. So not really great to move that area, yeah. right? So it was kind of a protective mechanism. But if we could have changed the sensory feedback on the sake, or if I put my hand there, pressure, temperature, I might have asked you to put your finger on your belly and not change the space and asked you to move your leg. I guarantee your leg would have moved. Yeah. So interesting. And I, I, I'm saying I guarantee it would have with the sensory feedback, but we can't, you know, it's, you're doing great. It, it's really defined who you are. And it's funny. So to answer your question, Jill, so Danny J, you told me that story at dinner. Did I mention to you what I did after that story? No. Because why I don't do that is people go through their journey and she was telling me how she walked again. So I'm going to come in and be like, well, I think you should have done it this way. What was the sensory impact? It's like, fuck you. But what I always think is people tend to find the right people when it's the right time. Mm -hmm. I think when you're trying to heal yourself and stuff like that, I feel like a lot of the people that make headway are the people who kind of do it themselves. Mm. So what I do with my clients is I don't teach a lot of exercises. We teach concepts mm. and then I want them to figure out how to use it in their day. So a young man, Gary, who I post, most of my clients don't want to be on social media. I understand. It's very personal, but Gary lets us. And every single time Gary is the body for my advanced neuro course, he has a huge shift in his body yeah. because he's listening. He's very smart. And he's like, oh, that's why she's doing that. Mm. Okay. And then he integrates it. He did like kind of a muscle up thing. He's got hemipresis from a stroke and a brain injury. 
he was like, okay, it wasn't a full muscle up and I was using my legs. I'm like, who fucking cares? But he used the strategy that we developed in his wrists and his hips to try it at CrossFit. That to me is what this work is about. Not limiting people and putting them in this box, but being like, well, why don't you try this, you know, and go for there, you know, that that's kind of how I approached that. And I felt like back in the day, I felt like I was trying to explain to people what I did. And like when people would tell me their injuries, everybody likes to tell me their injuries. You know what I do now? I do this. And if you can't see me, I'm just nodding. Uh-huh. <laughs> they don't want my opinion. They want to tell me their story. Yeah. Right. It's so crazy. So I just stay quiet. And then if I hear something, I'm like, hey, why don't you maybe they'll tell me an entry point. Now I know with that sacral with the infection. And then I remember when you, you, is that when you were working at SeaWorld? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So again, in the pool, different sensory information in the body. So I kind of go back and then I say, hey, maybe um, next time you do lunges, put your hand down your pants, feel your ass meet on your back leg and don't change that as you lunge. Just try that and tell me what happens. Mm-hmm. And then they'll kind of give me feedback or not. Mm-hmm. They'll either ignore me or do it. Yeah. You know, so it goes from there. So like, if you're listening to this, don't overwhelm your clients with shit. When I observe my students, I'm like, they're like, how was the session? I'm like, um, you had sex on the first date. <laughs> you didn't have sex though. You told them your whole life story. You told them you wanted to get married and then you had sex. That person is never calling you again. <laughs> right. You came in hot. And the only reason I know that is because I had sex on the first date a lot. Mm-hmm. In both business and <laughs> the metaphor for life. I enjoyed my twenties anyway, but, and it's just because we're, we care. We want to help people so yeah. bad, yeah. but it's like, right. And if I can chill, if anybody listens, if I can chill and keep my mouth shut, anybody can. It's very hard for me. Yeah. Well, I love this and I, I um, would love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about how they might be able to find more information. Obviously, I think we could talk about this. We'll maybe have to do a part two because I think there's a lot here. But yeah. I think in the interest of sort of letting people sort of digest this and maybe go and follow you for more information, what's the best way or like where can they just start to like learn more and like maybe start to learn about how they can apply this themselves? Two things. You can follow me on Instagram at Meg Copel Duffy, two P's, one L in Copel, um, or, and, not or, and the Neuro Studio. So I find being around it and hearing the language, it becomes less terrifying, okay? You can also, through Instagram, there's links. You can book coaching calls with me. You can book sessions with me. You can take my courses, okay? You can do a mentorship with me after you follow the steps. Okay, don't be like, I want to do a mentorship starting with you tomorrow. While I'd love that, when I take mentorships, you kind of have to be at a certain level so that we can kind of do the work. Okay, so I would start there. Mm-hmm. The Neuro Studio, the most cost effective way, the Neuro Studio, we have an online studio with workouts and a lot of these concepts. Yes, it's geared for clients with neurological conditions, but the problems they have in your body, everybody listening will have these problems in their bodies as they age. So start now. Mm-hmm. And expe- I'm big on about experiencing the work in real time. So maybe if we do a part two, let's do some like practical applications to try. Because really for me, talk is cheap. We need to feel a difference. But I also know that sometimes it's nice to just kind of absorb and take things. And everybody learns different. I love a lecture. 
I want to hear it. And then I'm going to put it into my brain. But like kinesthetic learners, they have to freaking, I'm like, just figure it out later. What do you need to figure it out right now? You know, that's not how I learn, but I want to offer that opportunity. So that's probably the best way. Or you can always email me um, at megcopel at gmail to say hello or ask any questions. As you can tell, I love to talk. This is your medium, baby. Yeah. I know. I love it. Thank you. It's nice. I don't have to shut up. (laughs) Thank you for sharing so much. I mean, you could tell that you you have so much knowledge. You've worked with so many people. We could go down a rabbit hole on probably any um, problem that somebody has. And I would just, I would actually love to just uh, sit and watch you work with someone one-on-one because I think that would be fascinating to see how you observe. You got an invitation yeah, anytime. Yeah. Next time I'm out in California, I'll train you guys and we can watch and play. Oh, and hell yeah. It's really fun. And just to circle back on something I said earlier, um, when I was talking about the depression post-concussion, I just want to circle back on that. Um, depression can be small or big. When it's small, it's okay to address it then. You don't have to wait till it becomes very big. Um, I know it's scary and a lot of people think it's a weakness. It's not. It's your brain chemistry is affected by situations, by sensory input. So by going in that way, I am just very lucky that I knew the signs. And I called somebody. I literally called my husband at work. I said, I'm calling Dr. Rubin. I need you to come home and take me to Dr. Rubin's. I don't want to even drive. My husband came right home. We handled it, but most people might not equate that they hit their head or that they might just think there's a weakness or they're depressed or something's wrong with them. There's always a reason why we might not know that reason why, but if we can help your brain work more optimally, make sure the foundations in your body are sound, making sure the big joints can respond. We can fix that crack in the foundation so you can, can do the work and do the therapy and do all those things like that. This doesn't replace that. It's helping it work better. Mm. So I just kind of wanted to go back that it, if you feel off, you know how you feel. Talk to someone. You can email me and ask me question about that. But don't think like, oh, maybe I'm just depressed because of this. Like there usually is a little bit more to it. So I always just, I share my story, not to really share my story, but to let people know like it's normal to feel depressed, have depression, especially after a concussion or a head injury or anything traumatic to your body. Chronic mm. illness and chronic pain too. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. When you have chronic pain, that's the only sensory input you feel. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really Ugh. glad you, you wrapped that up. Um, I think it's super important because we did kind of at the very beginning, you talked about mental health and I think, um, I think that's something big and something we don't think of and something I've been, and I sh- I've shared this on an episode, but I think a pervasive belief that's gone around for a long time and that has been proven to be false is that depression comes from a chemical imbalance and it doesn't. And I love that you kind of suggested some other things because it could be an injury, an illness, even a low level. There might be a chemical imbalance, but it was caused by, you know, our chemicals don't just get funky for no reason. You know, there's something going on. And I just went through this with my mom. She, we thought she was having a heart attack. Like I took her to the cardiologist, the cardiologist admitted her there was nothing. And my mom was so scared. And you know what she said to me? Mm -hmm. What if they go in and they do it to the cath lab and nothing's wrong? They're going to think I'm a hypochondriac. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I said, maybe you should stop judging others who complain a lot. And I pointed to Mm -hmm. me, my mother was so afraid to be called a hypochondriac and a baby. Mm -hmm. 
that she didn't want to tell her doctor what she was feeling. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mom, that's not a weakness. Yeah. You, you're a cardiologist and I, there's something wrong. We yeah. need to go in. But her biggest fear was that someone would think she was a hypochondriac. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I mean, talk about Irish Catholic. I'm Irish Catholic. I can talk about it. But that was her, that was her biggest concern. Not that she was having a heart attack. For sure. I was like. <laughs> yeah, that checks out. Yeah. Jill, does that check out? Oh, yeah. You know me. I mean, I left the Catholic Church behind a long time ago, but certainly grew up with it and, and definitely Irish. So totally get that. I love it. And then my, my Jewish father is the opposite. He's, I'll be like, Dad, my pinky toe hurts. What can I do? Tell me all about it. Like, he just, he's, it's so, so I, I, I get the balance from both, which is lovely. I'm very blessed with my parents. But um, back to the mental health thing. Um, even if you don't want to talk about it, just mm-hmm. there are solutions that might be um, pharmaceuticals, drug, movement, talking, all the things. Yeah. So you don't have to use this. There's not only one strategy. What, what's interesting, I'm going to like leave it, leave it here, but you were talking about the eyes and a big therapy is called EMDR. It's yep. and you reprocess trauma through eye movement. So when you were talking about the eye thing, that clicked for me like, yes, this, this makes a lot of sense. And I feel what's really missing in a lot of, um, I don't, I don't even know what to call it, like industries. It's there. People aren't looking at the whole picture. So we just go, it's this, you know, and you're just treating the symptom. And that's why I love what you're doing. It's really kind of looking at the whole picture. And I think that you sound like someone who would go, Hey, I'm going to refer you out to also do this. Like you mentioned, I might refer you to a massage therapist. I might refer you out because we're going to work on one thing, but there's also some other things that could be an issue. So I really, yeah, there's a body around that brain. Yeah. Body around that brain. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Love that. Thank you guys so much for letting me share this. Um, I know it kind of is a lot and I talk fast, but, um, I really appreciate you giving me that platform to speak. I love you both. You're awesome. And I want to talk more about the psilocybin and other things, Danny J. Yeah. So I'm going to have to come to California. We have a lot to talk about. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, love it. I love it. Well, thanks so much, darling, for your time, for your attention, and people will definitely connect with you on social. I'm sure of it. And uh, that is it for us, you guys. Thank you for being here. As usual, we know you could be listening to anything, and we're so grateful that you are here. Let us know if you guys have any questions, and of course, connect with Meg outside of this podcast, and we will see you on the next episode. All right, guys. Bye. Bye.